Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. We're going to be in Luke 12, starting with verse 35. And the last time we looked at the parable of the rich fool, um, it was kind of cool because I was in, I pray with my ushers before we start service, and we were talking about the parable last Sunday. And, you know, Jesus didn't name his own parables, <laughs> he taught people afterwards named the parable. So we, over thousands of years, we get the understanding, oh, that's the parable of the rich fool. The ironic thing is that when you actually go into the parable, you find that it's not just for rich people. It's a little bit of a misnomer, named by, named by men. But when you get into that parable, you see that it affects pretty much everybody. And today we're going to be in the parables of the watchful, of the ready, of the watchful. And you may ask yourself, it depends on your, your growing up. Did you grow up in the church? Did you just become a believer? Were you part of a denomination where they didn't really teach the word? What does it mean to be watchful? What, what are we looking for? You know? Well, Jesus came in the first century to die for our sins, to redeem our souls, our spirit, to regenerate the spirit. Jesus is going to come again to redeem his physical creation that's been marred by sin. So we're watchful in the sense, and Jesus even taught this when he instituted communion in his last supper with his disciples. Yes, we as Christians today look back at the cross and we're very appreciative for what he's done for us, but we also look to the future for his return. And a lot of, strangely enough, denominations don't teach that. And we're going we're gonna to get into why that's important. So the parable of the watchful. Now Jesus, if you look at the context, he was speaking about hypocrisy in Luke chapter 12. And then he moved to covetousness, you know? Is our identity in the things we own? Is our identity in the largeness, largeness of our house or the type of cars we drive or whether we're middle class or upper class? It's not important. Jesus said that, you know, our, pretty much our identity is not found in the things that we possess. So he moved from that covetousness idea to the subject of worry. And people worry. They worry about their possessions. They worry about their, what they're going to eat. They worry about what they're going to put on. And Jesus says, don't do that. So as we go through all these stages of discussions that he has, the last thing that he leaves us with is watchfulness. And he basically says to us, don't focus on these worldly things, but keep your eyes out for what's really important, and that's eternity. That's God's kingdom on earth. That's saving of souls. So the, the beautiful thing about Jesus is he would kind of present the problem and then he would have us focus on the things that are important. And that's what we come to church for. We come here and worship and, and to, to put the world out for a moment. You're just here and you're getting the word and you're absorbing it and, and hopefully that when we go back out into the world that we have that focus in mind so it affects the things that we do and say and, and our lifestyles. That's the goal anyway. Uh, so we're going to look at this in seven parts. And the first thing that we're going to see is, and you're going to see a progression here. We're going to look at expectancy. We're going to look at readiness. And, and as we continue through these two parables, it's not just going to be a mindset, but we're going to put feet on our faith. We're going to do something 
with the things that we believe and the things that we learn. So jumping in in verse 35, it says, Jesus says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. I had to read that twice. I haven't been in this passage for a while. I'm going to tell you why. That's interesting. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So one out of seven is having our waists girded and our lamps burning. So the first out of seven parts. And basically what it means is, every so often I have to give a little context, a little filler. Um, you know, American culture, 2,000 years ago, Middle Eastern culture, big difference. If we were to go to, you know, we go out in the sun and in our area, it's hot, but it's not brutal, right? Uh, we'll go out with a t-shirt and our head uncovered and shorts you would go to the Middle East or some countries today like that, you would fry. And people think today, it's funny, American thought, why do they wear such big clothing? They must be really hot. No, it's actually very smart. Actually, when I, when I work out in the heat, my veins pop out of my head and I put a shirt over my head and it, it covers my head, it cools me down, it's awesome. But you would go there back then or today and you would wear a head covering, you'd wear heavy clothing, almost like a robe-like clothing. And what happens is it, it provides an insulative barrier to the radiant rays of the sun. You know what I'm saying? And you, you, you can survive out there. You could be out there all day like that. Again, we've we got we to put this out there. What, what is he talking about? So men back then and today, too, wore these clothings that were more like robes. However, if you had to move or you had to do something, you could trip over them. So what you would do is you would gird your waist. You would pick up the loose part of it and have a sash or a belt. And for that particular time to work, you would gird your waist. You would gird up your loins, so to speak. And this way you could work, you could move. Lamps burning meant to be able to work efficiently even when it's inconvenient. So today we have electricity. Back then in that area, they did not. So if they wanted to, if they had to work or they had to do or they had to serve, they had to have their lamps burning so it, in the pitch dark they could see what they were doing and it wouldn't cause a problem, right? Biblical terms here. And basically spiritually to us, to believers, to the servants of the Lord, it means to be ready to serve when he calls upon us to serve. Are we? Or are we distracted? Are there too many things? Even, i tell you what, and, and I experienced it too, Sometimes coming to church, or even when one of my pastors is up here, in my mind, sometimes I, things flash of what I have to do Monday morning, and I have to fight that and put it out of my head. You see what I'm saying? It, it has to be the mindset to just be, let God worry about a lot of that stuff. You know, just are we attentive to Him? Now, here's something that I have to point out too is that. You know, in that culture, there was no middle class. There was the very wealthy, and they owned a lot of stuff. It was a political class. Unfortunately, the religious leaders fell into that class. 
Jesus had a problem with that too. And then there was everybody else who was poor. So Jesus wasn't saying this is right or wrong. He was just saying he would use a situation that was going on in the world and he would make an analogy. And the reason he did that, and sometimes they weren't good situations, but everybody could understand it. Remember, in America, most people are educated. We have public education. Back then and in that area, a lot of people were um, ignorant, not that, only because of lack of knowledge. So he had to teach them in a way that they could all grasp. All right? Verse 36, this relationship is between this master or lord or boss or landowner and his servants. And back then, they were at his beck and call. Whatever he needed them to do, they were attentive to do it. Now, we see a lot of themes, too, where Jesus, and and we covered the parable of the wedding feast. He speaks about this this Lord going to the wedding and then coming back and then expecting that his servants are there ready to attend to him. And it's kind of interesting because Jesus slowly, through the parables and his teachings, helps to understand our relationship with God, our relationship with the Lord, right? And a lot of times these, these stories illustrated that. Um, you, you know, in, in the Old Testament, you had the father who had, and you see right through his writings through the prophets, that he loved the Israelites and anybody who would come in as believers. It wasn't exclusive. And, and he had this relationship almost like a marriage. Jesus in the New Testament helps us to understand his relationship with us as well. The son, right? Eternally eternal son comes to the earth, fully God, fully man. And again, to us, Christianity has been around for 2,000 years. We get a lot of the concepts. To them, this was something new. So what Jesus is trying to express to them too with all these allusions is, is this whole relationship aspect. Okay, In the New Testament, you see the relationship between Christ and his mixed church, his Jew and Gentile mixed church. And it's really cool because uh, the Apostle Paul picks this up in Ephesians 5. And it's interesting because you think he's talking about this relationship between a husband and wife, and he is. And then in verse 32, he goes, I tell you a great mystery. The mystery of Christ and the church. Of Christ being the, the husband, being the groom, and the church being us. And in a spiritual relationship with him. So again, in Calvary chapels, we preach relationship, not religion. And there's a big difference. God doesn't want us to just do stuff. He wants our hearts. He wants our love. He wants our devotion. That's a relationship. Anything else is cheap. Now, in Jewish culture, just to give you again a little little background, what would happen is the groom would prepare everything. And he would go out, and these wedding feasts could last days. Uh, So the groom would go out, and he'd make stuff ready. He'd order things. He'd, you know every little detail of of this wedding and the bride during this period would make herself ready because she didn't know when he was going to come back so what he would do is he would you know could have been two in the morning could have been three could have been four in the morning and it wasn't oh you know i got to blow dry my hair i mean that's that didn't happen he would come and she would be ready and the guests would be ready too he'd whisk her off her feet take her to the place where he prepared everything and everything would be set pretty neat stuff but it's very important because it was unexpected. And now again, what are, what are we talking about, Pastor Joe? Are we, are we in weddings? Are we in parables? Yes, <laughs> to all those questions. 
Because what Jesus wants us to understand is that when he went and he ascended into heaven, you know, he talked about preparing eternity for us. And Jesus is going to come back at a time that we don't expect. And we need to be ready for that, mentally, spiritually. That doesn't mean we don't go to work and we don't plan for stuff, but if the Lord wills, um, Pastor Sam always says to me, if the Lord wills, I'll see you in the morning. It's, you know, he controls everything. And it's a good thing. If we could put up 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. In 1 Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, and, and this is after Christ ascended into heaven. He set up his apostles. He established the church. And the Apostle Paul, it's understood that some of the Thessalonians were concerned. Jesus talked about coming back. Hey, did we, did we over here in Thessalonica, did, did we miss something? And the Apostle Paul is trying to comfort them and basically explaining how Jesus would return, right? So we look at this, and it's for all believers. In 1 Thessalonians 4, starting with verse 13, Apostle Paul says, I do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep or who have died. It was a nice way of saying it. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Because if you die and you don't know where you're going and you don't know anything, you don't know if God is going to accept you, that's frightening. However, Jesus answered all those questions for us. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring him those who sleep in Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. He wants to be with his bride, which is us. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, which nobody knows when it's going to be, it's his timetable, will by no means precede those who have died really who were asleep or have died before us. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, our future, don't know how near it is, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. So it's not going to be something that, it's going to be unexpected, but when it happens, we'll know that, all believers will know that this is happening. It's, oh, what's that noise? You know what I'm saying? Oh, is that a jet? No, that's the Lord. You know what I'm saying? So we continue. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Once that happens, if you look at eschatology or the timetable of God, you start to see these plagues of revelation and the, the world starts to descend in chaos. Definitely a place that I don't want to be when that happens. But there is a time where the Lord will come for his believers, for his church, and this parable, I mean, we've seen parables before where, where you know, it's specifically, we, we look at the bride as, as the church, as us, and this parable focuses on us as the servants. So the really neat thing is when Jesus, when you start going through the parables, I think we've done like 19 of them at this point, you, you, you start to get it. You understand God better. You understand the Lord. You understand what, what do we do? What's our plan? Um, that's why I love the parables. They're so powerful. Verse 37. Two, the second part out of seven is the reward. Now, this was unheard of. I just read this part where the, the Lord, this little L, this landowner, this master, he comes back. And when he sees his servants doing right, what he does is he girds himself and serves. Now again, those listening to the parable... They're, they're familiar with what they see every day in the world. Some of them might have been servants that were actually out there as Jesus was preaching on their spare time, on their lunch break, whatever. 
And then Jesus talks about the, the Lord, this, this master who actually girds himself and he starts serving the servants. He, that means he would tie up his loose clothes. Oftentimes he would wash the feet of his guests. He would serve the meal and he would wait on that table as a waiter. What else do you need? And they would be like, this never happens. Check this out. In John 13, what did Jesus do on the night he was betrayed? He girded himself and he washed the feet of his disciples. To, to Peter's surprise, like I, he was flabbergasted and said something. You know, you shall not wash my feet. Like He was just incredulous at what Jesus was doing because they knew who he was, the Son of God. Jesus also broke bread, and Jesus also sp- spoke about leaving and preparing a home for them. If this isn't the groom, if this isn't the, the husband, I don't know what is. And you can see this spiritual analogy going on. You know, so what he does too, Jesus, is again, they're listening to this story and they're saying, wow, the, the master actually starts serving the servants. But again, what Jesus often did was everybody understood what happened in society and he would turn society's mores and their rules and their class structure, he would turn it on its head and say, there is a God in heaven, he's your father and he loves you. And furthermore, you know, I came to serve, not to be served. Whoa. People were like, so God comes to earth to serve us? That, that's incredible. He, he served by what was called servant leadership at the time. And we still understand it like that. And then just to kind of give you another uh, picture here, in Revelation 19 is the marriage supper of the Lamb. So 1 Thessalonians 4 happens first. The Lord calls us into the air. He brings us to heaven, to this wonderful place He's prepared for us for eternity. And then we sit down and have a meal in Revelation 19. And it's all prepared for us. (laughs) So you see the parable. Then you read the scripture. Again, a lot of reinforcement there. Verse 38, 3 out of 7 is the unusual or the inconvenient time. Again, this could have been in the second hour or the third, or the second watch or the third watch, which could have meant anywhere from 9 p.m. to 3 a.m. in the morning. Right? that there had to be a readiness of the people. Now, I understand this, and I don't know about you, have you ever had a situation where somebody just kind of startled you and said, hurry up, we got to go. You know, we got to get ready. I was doing some work on my house a few years ago, and there's this friend of mine, he's a builder, his name is Rob, and he would come after his regular shift, and we would work together until the sun went down. And he would call me on the phone and says, I'm five minutes from your house, and this was his line. I loved his line. He goes, we've got to hit the ground running. <laughs> you know, got to hit the ground running. I'd be like, oh, I'd put my boots on. I'd put, get my tape measure and all my tools. And I'd be, he, he startled me, but it was something good that I had to be, ex- I couldn't be taking a nap. And he's ringing the phone, ringing the phone. He gets to my, what are you doing? You know, my time is precious. So the Lord sometimes will also inconvenience us. I don't know about you, but I've been inconvenienced by the Lord many a times. You know, I have my schedule. I have a tight schedule. And then he wants me to minister to somebody. (laughs) And I know it's from him, and I'm trying to put it off like it's my thought because I'm so busy, And but he just, this is what he wants me to do. And the Lord will inconvenience us at times with life events, but also with with our life. If the Lord decides today is the day that he takes us, that's that's a wonderful thing. And I've got to be honest with you. 
I'm just like you. You know, I, I, I see life events and I see things that I'd like to do and I have my five-year and my 10-year plan and 15 years should I live that long. My son's going to college. I'd like to see him graduate, raise a family. One day I'd like to hold grandkids. You know what I'm saying? No hurry, no pressure. But, uh, and then when they start screaming and fussing and are smelly, I can give them back. You know what I'm saying? But will that ever happen? I don't know. It's nice to make plans, but I've got to be tell, you, tell you something. I have to put the Lord first place in my life. If he decides to come tomorrow or next year, then so be it. And I have to tell you that as a newer believer, I still was in the world, and I still was saying, well, the rapture's really cool, the harpazo, or in the English, the, when the Lord comes and, and brings us up, like in First Thessalonians 4. But in, mind, in my mind, I thought, well, I'd like to do this, and, I'd li- and I hope he comes after that, and... That could go on forever. You know what I'm saying? I grew up a little bit over the years. Um, but, you know, whenever he comes is a good time. And why do we have these parables? Because in our flesh we do think like this. Well, I would like to do this and I'd like to see that. I think there's, there's a few legitimate reasons to, to look for a delay. And one of those is if you know somebody who's unsaved or the world or a section of the world that you're praying for and they don't know Jesus yet. And you don't want to see them go through what's going, going to happen in this world during Revelation. I think that's legitimate. But again, the Lord knows. He knows these things. There will be tribulation saints. That's how merciful God is. Even in, amidst the chaos, He's going to give people an opportunity to, to, to come to Him. And it's a great thing. And He says, blessed are those. Now that word means, oh, how happy. It can be translated, oh, how contented, oh, how fortunate. And folks, this is what you get when you have a relationship with the living God. You're blessed. And, and it's sad because today, you know, that's why we do Bible studies and we don't just listen to some pop preacher who takes the Bible out of context. Their idea of blessed means you won the lottery or somebody gave you a brand new Cadillac. Okay, but according to the scripture, blessed is the fortunate, the contented, the joy, the peace of your relationship with God on a daily basis. Oh, how blessed. Those servants were ready. Folks, if we're ready and we're living our life, you know, ready to you know, be received by Him at any time, oh, how fortunate we are. Now we move into a transition, into preparedness. Okay, we looked at readiness, we looked at watchfulness, now we, we're preparedness. Now we have a little bit of a plan going here. Verse 39. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. If you were there listening to Jesus, and even if you're in church this morning, you've got to pay attention. Because all of a sudden you think you're going, I got it, I got it. It takes a sharp, what are we talking about, burglary? What's going on here? Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So four out of seven is, now we're investigating a burglary. <laughs> New Jersey Penal Code 2C18-2 to remain or to unlawfully enter a structure with purpose to commit a crime, usually theft. Where did that come from? (laughs) Well, I I did have to make the differentiation because in the Greek, the words are very similar. Theft was theft. Every society has a different penal code. In New Jersey, where we live, to actually, the difference between theft and burglary, the theft is the taking. The burglary is to remain in a structure or enter a structure like someone's house or garage and, 
and steal or commit any type of crime. So I just have to, but you understand what he's saying. And what he, it's talking about burglary, our understanding. However, when you look at the situation, what do burglars do? Do burglars come into your house when you're, when you're you know, loading up your firearm? No, they don't do that. They wait for you to be gone. As a matter of fact, in New Jersey, especially Middlesex County, we have a lot of daytime burglaries because burglars don't want to deal with people. They just want to come into your house, steal your stuff, and leave and not get caught. That's what they do. So why is Jesus speaking about this? Does this mean that Jesus is going to turn to a life of crime? No, he's using something that definitely would have woke them up, definitely would have got their attention, but to express the unexpectedness of his return. Okay? When people are burglarized, it's obvious that they didn't know because they weren't home. So Jesus is going to come at a time that we don't expect. And I know I, last Sunday I talked about how wouldn't it be neat if, well, some would agree, some wouldn't, is if we, had, if we were all imprinted with an expiration date under our arm that told us the day we were going to die and we could plan accordingly. There's a reason why that doesn't happen. is because God wants us to live for him. You know, and the same way here with the Lord's return, again, there's that not imprinted. Oh, the Lord's going to come back January 1st of 2018. I'm using it as an example. I'm not making a false prophecy. Um, and if that was the case, it, w- what would happen the night before? Everybody would be repenting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Oh, heartfelt prayers. I'm so sorry for what I've done. Lord, receive me. Everybody's on their knees. It wouldn't be genuine. So it needs to be a lifestyle. That's why God doesn't tip us off to these things. Um, if you look at Harold Camping, he predicted the end of the world many times. So did the Jehovah Witnesses. Very sad. They predicted Christ's return. And I remember in 2010, there were guys going out on the street handing pamphlets out of Harold Camping's false prophecy. And a lot of people followed it. They thought the world was going to end or Jesus was going to come back in 2011. Jehovah Witnesses too, people sold their goods. Very sad. And this happened multiple times. That's called a false prophecy. And it really makes Christianity look weird. It makes it look weird because Christ said, no one knows the day or the hour. In, in their hubris, some try to say, well, I got inside information. If Jesus says no one, then it's no one. So if you, I don't know where you are with the Lord, many of you, some of you, but if you hear somebody predicting the Lord's return, don't believe it. It's false prophecy. And the best way to guard against this unexpectedness, and an unexpected event, whether burglary, a bad event, or a good event like the Lord's return, is to be vigilant. In our homes, we can be physically vigilant and do things to safeguard our homes. But spiritually, as we go through this world, we need to be spiritually vigilant. Always be ready for the Lord's return. Again, a lot of things I'd like to see in my life, but if the Lord comes tonight, I'm good. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm fine with that. The last section in this is really faithfulness, or this is different from the preparedness and the watchfulness, as faithfulness is a forward action. There's action on this, okay? Jumping into verse 41, then Peter said to him, love Peter, Peter always had something to say, um, and when he was confused, he never held it inside, he would, it would just come out of his mouth. He said, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise servant whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. 
But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the men servants and the maid servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour when he's not aware and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes, but he who did not know yet committed things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Now I have to take this apart. The fourth thing we're going to, or excuse me, the fifth thing we're going to look at is who does this apply to? And I, I personally am very thankful for Peter's questions. I'm thankful that the recorders of the Gospels wrote down Peter's questions, you know. Oh, look, Peter, you know, hey, what do you think Jesus meant by that? I'm sure Peter will ask in a few, three, two, one, there goes Peter, you know what I'm saying? But I love that about Peter because Jesus would answer his questions that the hearers would have and that we have as we go through the Scripture. And the Lord's example was simple. You see, Peter and James and John, James and John got caught up in, trying to be uh, Jesus' general sitting on his right and his left hand. And Jesus was trying to expl- explain to them, listen, the whole rank thing is a worldly thing. It doesn't work like that in heaven. You really want to be great in God's eyes? Then be a servant. Ah, that doesn't work like that here in the world, but it does work like that in God's kingdom. But Jesus was saying, this isn't an elite club. If you want to be a follower, if you want to be my disciple, then you're that person I'm speaking to. If you want to be... Uh, a follower, not a spectator. And, and today, some think that, well, this is just for the clergy. And again, it, it puts that onus on other people. I don't have to do anything. You know, I don't have to live this way. I don't have to be um, you know, responding to his will. Some people think, well, I just want to get to heaven, and that's the finish line. No, that's the starting line. Okay. Six, the sixth point. We look at another reward here. So we saw the reward of the of the Lord or the master serving the servants. Now we look at another reward and God rewards his faithful believer. And how does he do that? Not just with being served, but also with rulership or authority. And we've spoken about this, the millennial kingdom and, and things to that nature. But do we show the Lord that we're even capable? Do we show the Lord that we even care? That we're even interested to know these things? You know, there's plenty of believers who, it's amazing, it's, they, it's like a, a dichotomy in their life where they, they look at the promotions, they look at the rewards, they look at the possessions of the world. They really want that. They work really hard for that. But when it comes to Christianity, they don't put anything into their, their lives, their walk with the Lord. They don't put anything into seeking the Lord. What would you have me do, Lord? But their, their life in the world is all about they're aggressive, they're driven, they're type A. When it comes to the things of God, they're like blasé. Right? Jesus' who is, who are these people, is to answer, be answered by the hearers. Peter, who, Peter's saying, well, who, Lord? Who could be a part of this? And Jesus is saying those that want to be faithful servants. So my question this morning is, do we want to be those faithful servants? You know, do we want to be that wise and trusted servant? And what makes us wise? Proverbs 1.7, the fear or the reverence for the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Another proverb, Proverbs 9, I believe it's 7 through 9, 
says that the wise man will accept instruction. He'll accept even constructive criticism. The fool, you know, he'll come at you for it, right? So what type of people are we? Do we are we the type to think, well, you know, we have it all covered and we don't receive anything from anybody? Or are we open? To me, personally, even when somebody criticized me negatively, my pastor always taught me there's just a, maybe there's a few, maybe they're mean-spirited, maybe whatever, but try to take like 5 or 10% of it make you a better person. So even in criticism, can we receive the criticism and change for the better? Right? And none of us are going to come to this utopian point in our, our personalities or our walks with the Lord. And so always to be open. So wisdom is having a relationship with the Lord and receiving from Him, doing what He's called us to do, being open to the Holy Spirit's conviction and instruction and things to that nature. Now, in verse 30 or 43 through 44, again, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. I say to you, he will make him ruler over all that he has. And we've covered this before in the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas. You know, the Lord is going to remake this planet. He's going to rule from Jerusalem and he's going to put his people in charge. Right? Are we faithful? Have we proven to God that, that he can count on us? Just a question. Continuing on, the seventh point here is the unfaithfulness reveals the heart. Okay? So we, we see a punishment for a certain group of folks. Who are they? What did they do? What's their punishment? Well, there's a revelation. You see, why does God say don't judge? Because God has the ability to see if we're phony or not, if we're, our motives are good or not, but we don't. We can't see past the skin on a person's face. We can't see what's going on in their mind. Only God has that ability, so we can't judge. But God is, is seeing what we can't see, and he's seeing that some are unfaithful. He's seeing that some are, their treatment of others in the church is wrong. And let's go through these. Number one, to beat his fellow servants or maidservants and men servants. This indicates a lack of love or hostility towards fellow believers. And you can go to any church. You can talk to believers from any church. You could talk to ministry. There's a certain type of person who calls themselves a believer. And listen, if you left the church because of a scandal or something bad, that's probably wisdom. But they just go and they hop from church to church, good church to good church, and they never can seem to get along with anybody. They always find fault with the church. They're just like not in harmony with the body of Christ. And there's just a, a certain type of believer that even other believers are like, oh, I hope they don't witness to somebody. You know what I'm saying? They're just, their ways are aggressive. They're, they're not kind. There's no compassion there. The second thing that this one bad servant does is it says that he eats, drinks, and he's drunk. And this is an, an excess in the world's pleasure. Again, it's an excess in the world's pleasures. He's not in harmony with the other servants. But it's all about what he can get out of the world. It's all about what he can do while his master's not looking. And three, the Lord will appoint him or her with the unbelievers. Maybe that's the place where they always belonged. But again, in judgment, we'll, we'll see. Again, not everybody in every church is going to heaven. You know, it's an individual thing. Do we have a relationship with the Lord? Do we, do we truly, have we truly trust in Christ as our Lord and Savior? And you might say to me, well, Pastor Joe, why would anybody pretend to be a believer? 
again, it's, this isn't, we're not the unbeliever police. Please, after the service, don't look at each other suspiciously. This is a parable. <laughs> this is the Lord's job, and this is above my pay grade. You know what I'm saying? This is what he does. But we're supposed to learn some things from it. So a few things, and I just, off the top of my head, I like to answer questions before they're asked. So some may come to a church um, not really desiring a relationship with the Lord, not really loving people, but they're in the church for what a friend called fire insurance. You know, they're just concerned about, you know, nobody wants to go to hell, of course, and they've heard about it and it doesn't sound good, but they don't love people, they don't really desire a relationship with the, with the Lord, but they're in churches. Um, another type of person is maybe a person who couldn't make it in the world. Maybe they failed in the world. Maybe they failed in business. So they decide to come into a church, and I've seen this too. Hey, there's a lot of trusting people in a church. Maybe I can rise through the ranks. Maybe I can you know, use the, my silver tongue to get to a place that I couldn't get to in the world. Maybe they're a scammer trying to prey on uh, trusting people, and I've seen this too. The scariest of all is the person who's deceived themselves into thinking they're a follower of God. Now, everybody knows whether they have a relationship with the Lord or not. And here's the beautiful thing. Whenever I have to talk about things that are unpleasant, I also talk about the good news. The good news is, according to the Bible, a leopard, the only time a leopard can change his proverbial spots is when he repents and comes to the Lord, he or she. So... Any person can repent of their life, whether it be self-directed, whether it be self-deceptive, whether it be, you know, praying on others, and they can come before the Lord and say, you know what, Lord, I, I, I want to follow you. See, that's the beautiful thing. It can happen at any time. So there's my good news for you. You know, I have to give you the bad, but I also have to give you the good as well. Verse 45, the, the bad servant says, my master is delaying his coming. So what will I do? I will feed my flesh. I will live the way I want. You know, I'll do things that, you know. And, and here's the thing, too. People will hear a sermon or they'll, they'll have a, a misconception. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this sin and, and I really want to get right and I really need accountability. I need help. I, I need to, people to pray for me. I mean, if that's your attitude, that's awesome because none of us are perfect. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, and, and, and when we can look at ourselves and, and see the flaws and, and be honest with the Lord, that's a good thing. That's called honesty. It's a good thing. But there's a category, again, the bad servant, he was very calculated. My master is delaying his coming. So I'm gonna, it's time to get drunk. It's trying, time to eat and drink. It's time to beat my fellow maidservants and men servants. However, when the Lord comes, he finds him doing it. You know, the Lord sees everything. We're not going to fool God. We can fool other people, but we can't fool God. I think what's even scarier is the teachings out there that purposely don't talk about the Lord's return. So sometimes somebody comes from a denomination, they come to a Calvary or a Bible-believing church, and they say, you people really believe that one day the Lord's going to drop out of the sky and take us home? Yeah, this must be a cult. I've heard that. <laughs> okay, read the Bible. <laughs> read Jesus' teachings and stop listening to your minister or your priest or whatever who's telling you stuff or your pope who's saying whacked out things that are completely antithetical to the scripture. Where you're, don't even listen to me. <laughs> Seriously, don't, I'm telling you, don't listen to me. Look at the scripture and see if what I'm telling you is true. That's why you all got Bibles in front of you. It's God's word. The Catholics, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Calvary people, we all use the same Bible, folks. 
It's the same Koine Greek with a few nuances here and there. So it's very important to know our word and see what the teaching is. Why would somebody or an organization that claimed to be Christian not teach one of the fundamental things that Jesus taught to his disciples? Well, there's a few reasons. Number one, maybe they've grown into such a money-making empire that they really like it here. On an individual mindset, some like it here so much that they're looking for utopia on the earth. The idea, just like I talked about before, of, of a Lord Jesus coming down at any particular point, interrupting our lives and bringing us to heaven, is unsettling to some. Really? <laughs> but it's the truth. I actually grew up in a denomination where until I went to a Bible-believing church, I mean, I was in this denomination for uh, a few decades, I didn't know any of this stuff. It was a shock to me when I, when I was a pastor. Where's he getting that stuff from? And I'd be looking up in the Bible. Oh, yeah, he's right. The Apostle Paul said that. Jesus said that. You know, Peter spoke about this stuff. Then why aren't they teaching it? Okay? Um, when we look in, at, the, at the subject of some are beaten with many stripes, some are beaten with few stripes, this is really the variance of punishment or judgment. In other words... An organization that should know better, that claims to be uh, an in place of God or uh, leading uh, Christians, and they're distorting the Bible, they're going to be beaten with many stripes. It's just the way it is. Um, and people have asked me, well, I know somebody that goes to this church and they've really trusted the Lord and they really believe in Jesus and they really are bearing fruit, but they're afraid to leave because their denomination teaches if you leave the church, you're going to hell. Will that person be saved? I always, I always err on the side of grace. The person truly has... A, some people are, are fearful. Some people are brainwashed. But the, the organization is going to definitely be held to an account. But if somebody has really trusted Christ... And, and this was me too. I started in a denomination that really wasn't teaching the right thing. And I moved to a Bible-believing church. And God will do that with a lot of people. He'll move them on. You know, they'll start with maybe a TV preacher and there's some weird stuff that's being taught and they faithfully watch that person and then they, they desire, they hunger for a place where they're actually getting taught the Word of God. So you, when you ask me questions, I'm always going to err on the side of grace because we have a loving God. We continue. Jesus was passionate about saving souls, spreading the message of salvation, and ultimately Ending the reign of sin. This is his desire. This is a future occurrence. Because right now we are... And you know what's funny? There's some teachings that say we're in the millennium. That we're in the millennium in Revelation and everything's hunky-dory. I'm like, dude, do you read the news? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Satan is going to be uh, you know, put in the pit and he's going to be chained and he's not going to be able to deceive people. Every day you read the news. It's horrible. And that's only a snippet of what's going on in the world. Overseas news. Imagine all the junk that God sees on a daily basis. His desire is to, to end this reign of sin. But folks, before he returns, we have work to do. Now, it doesn't mean that the church is going to change the culture or the world. But maybe if every Christian is doing a little something, little, pequeño, you know, that we can make somewhat of an impact. The Lord has expectations. Are we ready? Are we expectant? Are we prepared? Are we faithful? If we are, it'll show up in us bearing fruit. Some are not ready. They're distracted. They're self-focused. Some, and, and you know, life has a, a way and, and the world has a way of sometimes dampening our spirits. I talk to just Christians that I just have, and I just love these people, and 
sometimes they'll sit with me and go, I lost my fire. I used to be on fire for the Lord. I used to talk to the wait staff. I used to, and they're like, life just kind of burdened them. Folks, we're human beings. We're fallible. We mess up. We get off the track. But the cool thing is we can regain that. And part of that is my job to express that. That at any point in time, we can regain that fire. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I see a lot of believers, they, they go out and they just get saved and they, you know, they're just so full of zeal and they trip over their words and sometimes they say things that are wrong, but their heart is in the right place. And then life happens. And sometimes Satan can't get us to not believe. There's no way. I'm never going to not believe. But what he can do is he can put out a fire. And then he's won. If he can do that with a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, a million Christians and just put their flames out and just let them exist. Well, I'm okay. I'm saved. You know? And, and folks, can I tell you something? I've taken people into my home. I've given people money. You get taken. <laughs> it happens. And you get frustrated. I'm not perfect. I'm up here. I am excited for the Lord. This isn't a show. But you know, you, you guys have been Christians for a long time, decades. I know some believers. And it, 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 can, be a, it can be tough. I have to watch my words. But you can regain that fire. And that's what I'm here to tell you. The good news. The good news is that Jesus died for our sins and if we trust in him we're saved and we're going to heaven and one day he's going to come back for us and he's promised an abundant life and there's so many blessings and we get his rulership and there's all these things that he's promised us it's very exciting and we don't have to be the big name ministries don't get caught up in that well I'm not the pastor I can say well I'm not the pastor of a thousand member church and he could say well I'm not the pastor of a ten thousand member church where does it end it's stupid you know we all have a ministry and I don't have to see it. You don't, we don't have to get applause. We could be doing something just discreetly, just privately. And the Lord sees it. And that's part of that bearing of fruit. That's part of when He comes back, He finds you doing what you're, you're called to do. We don't have to have gi- gigantic ministries. But the truth is we can all do something. And my question is, are we faithful with the personal ministry that God has given to us? And if we're not, Are we willing to be faithful? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.